You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. just such an easy thing to come in here and worship the Lord, you know. I mean, I feel His presence anytime I come in here, um, but you guys lead us in such a way that it's not drawing attention to yourself, it's drawing attention to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and that's uh, it's an amazing thing and, uh, and a great work that they do uh, on a regular basis. So I just really appreciate all of you guys, all of you that um, are offering your talents and your abilities to make it easy for us to worship the Lord. And also, I was thinking as we were, um, as we were bringing our tithes and offerings that uh, Jesus said, if you come to bring your offering, you remember that you have something against somebody, you know, leave your offering and go. And um, a lot of times we do that at communion. We're not doing communion today, but um, I just kind of feel like maybe there's somebody here that has something um, that they haven't let go of. Um, maybe something that they come to worship the Lord and it's just kind of like a... I don't know, like a weight that they're carrying. And the Lord wants us to let go of that. So let's just pause for a second. And if there's anything that you have against anybody, if you have a relationship that is, um, that is damaged or, uh, or dead, um, the Lord wants to minister to your heart so that you can um, reconcile that. So will you just pause for just a second and turn your attention to the Lord and receive the grace that he has for that right now. Just breathe it in. He calls us to do some really difficult things sometimes, but it doesn't seem difficult because he gives us the grace to be able to do it. He gives us the strength. All he wants is our willingness. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that every one of us would be a light in the darkness. I pray that every one of us, Lord, would be uh, going against the flow. Not doing what comes natural to us, Lord, but doing what we were empowered to do by the grace of God and by the presence of your Holy Spirit. Oh, God, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. I just pray that you would pour that out upon us, Lord. Refresh us, Lord. I pray for those that are heavily burdened, God, by things that you have not designed them to carry. I pray right now for the grace to lay that stuff down. Hurts, hang-ups, old wounds, misunderstandings. I just pray for grace to lay all that stuff down, Lord, that they might be light, that they might just be responding to the upward call, the upward draw of your spirit to live above this stuff and to glorify you, Lord, in the, in the tough situations in life. We just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, uh, as the last week of, um, of uh, Advent, um, we have uh, the uh, Benedetti family is going to come, and uh, they're going to open a gift and uh, share a little bit with us. Give them a good welcome as they come. I think you got a mic. Okay, good.
Oh, there he is. <laughs> Good job. So we love Christmas in the Benedetti house. Um, <laughs> we love Christmas movies. We love Christmas music. Pretty much everything Christmas. We have a few traditions in our family. It's not like we set out to create them. They just kind of happened. Um, I don't even know which year we started all these things. I, I made a quick list to run through. One, because I love making lists, but then also because I didn't want to forget anything. Uh, so one thing that we like to do with the kids, it, usually on Christmas Eve, but for some it's a Christmas miracle. We did it ahead of time this year. Um, we take the kids to the dollar store and let them each pick out just a little gift for everybody else in the house, uh, in including mom and dad. So everybody does that. Um, uh, Kimmy usually has a day of baking, often on, on Christmas Eve, which is one of her favorite things. Um, on Christmas Eve, um, we, we started doing this a couple of years ago. Uh, we get takeout uh, and let the kids like for once, they can pick wherever they want to eat and we get it and bring it home and we all eat together. And then usually, yeah, we usually go to six different places. So it usually takes about an hour to pick up our, our dinner, but uh, it's fun anyway. We have a great time along the way. Um, and then we come back home, we watch a Christmas movie. The kids um, always sleep out in the living room by the Christmas tree. And uh, so stay up extremely late because it's hard to go to sleep on Christmas Eve. Um, we bake a birthday cake for Jesus and usually eat it at some point on Christmas Day and sing happy birthday to Jesus. Um, actually, throughout the Advent season leading up to Christmas, we light Advent candles in our house. So we have it as a centerpiece on our dinner table. And each week we light a different candle. We read some scriptures together and we pray. It's usually loud and chaotic, but it's, uh, it's still fun and, uh, and meaningful to us. And then the final thing that we started doing a few years ago is, you know, Jesus said that whenever you feed the hungry and whenever you give water to the thirsty and you care for the sick and you visit those in prison, you've done it unto me. And so we figure on Jesus' birthday, the best gift that we could give him is to do something for those who are in need. And so every year we have a special Christmas offering that we give to some organization that we've talked about with the kids throughout Advent and so, it, so that it's a family uh, thing. This year we're supporting an organization called Preemptive Love, um, which does a lot of work around the world. One of the main things that they do is work in war-torn areas to help provide relief and help people you know, uh, find temporary housing and, and then also rebuild. So that is just a quick rundown of the Benedetti. And of course, we hang out with our families, uh, with our extended families and, and uh, all of that. So but that's a quick rundown of our traditions. I'm going to read the scriptures this morning. I couldn't persuade any of the kids to do it. So. We tried. Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. From Matthew 11, 25 through 26. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. From Matthew 2, 1 through 15. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. O you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. All right, let's pray. Lord, this morning, um, we rejoice just as Jesus rejoiced that, it, that it, you are delighted to hide the things of the kingdom from those who think they are wise and clever and reveal them to children. We thank you for uh, the good news of your upside down kingdom. We thank you that you take those that the world looks, on, as, looks at as outsiders and you make them insiders, that you call the lonely and the solitary and place them in families. We rejoice in this, Lord. We rejoice in the coming of your kingdom. And as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, um, we pray that you would show us the ordinary ways that you reveal yourself to us every day, the ways that you come to us by your spirit. Help us to have ears to hear, um, eyes to see, and hearts to respond in our hearts, in our homes and families, and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Let's give them a good appreciation. Good job. So we are uh, continuing, or actually finishing, our uh, Advent series this morning, um, and the, uh, the gift 
the, the, um, the series itself is titled, do we have one? Do we have it? Bob? Yes. Oh, the kids? Oh, I thought they were already gone. Okay, so we'll, we'll let the kids go to children's ministry. So as I said, we're concluding uh, the series. The, the name of the series is The Gift Of, uh, and it is uh, this week we're talking about the gift of a king. And uh, the uh, key scripture uh, for the series is uh, James chapter 1, verse 17. It says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, uh, with whom there is no shadow, variation or shadow uh, due to change. So every good thing that we have uh, comes from God, and this... Uh, series we've been looking at four, every week we've been looking at something that is a gift from God using a, uh, a character from the manger scene uh, as an example. We started with baby Jesus and then the next week was Mary, um, then the following week, uh, last week was the shepherd, and then today was the, um, uh, the, uh, one of the magi, and uh, he almost made an appearance last week because we unwrapped the wrong uh, gift uh, and noticed at the last minute that it was the wrong one, so um, he was uh, he was anxious to get here. He had the furthest to come. So, what, when you look at a manger scene, isn't that just like such a strange thing to have those guys there, right? I mean, like a mother and dad, yeah, and you know it's really unusual to have animals, you know, at a, the a birth of a scene, an angel, uh, a shepherd, but these guys, man, this is like. That's the weirdest element to the story, uh, to me, um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the, uh, uh, the what we call the wise men, uh, and uh, the Benedetti's just kind of read the uh, the story. It's recounted in Matthew chapter two, uh, verses one through fifteen, um, and it just tells the story about how when Jesus was born, um, that uh, these guys appeared uh, in Jerusalem, uh, saying that they had seen his star. Uh, in the east and asking for the king. And, uh, and then the story tells us that Herod was king at that time, uh, and he got really upset about it. And when he got upset about it, Jerusalem got upset about it. So when you've got, you know, somebody that is a tyrant, the way that uh, Herod uh, was a tyrant, violent uh, man, uh, just did some horrible, horrible things, wholesale slaughter. Uh, I think he killed uh, 300 or 200 of the uh, Sanhedrin uh, at one time because they had opposed him. Uh, he killed members of his own family to ascend to the throne, uh, and his children would continue that. Um, it was one of his, uh, well, I think it might have been his brother uh, who was ruling uh, when John the Baptist preached uh, that just kind of on a whim promised to give up to half his kingdom to a girl who had danced for him, and uh, she said, bring me the head of John the Baptist, and he, and he did. Uh, that's just an example of how bloodthirsty and how um, cruel um, these, uh, the, the Herods were. And uh, the guy that was ruling at that time, when, he, when the wise men came in and said that there was a king born, uh, he immediately got uh, very upset about it. And so he uh, called in the religious leaders, um, the scribes, the, the, um, uh, the guys who were uh, experts in the law, and he said, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they said... Uh, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And uh, 
So Herod sends the wise men, and he says, you go and find him, and then you come back and tell me, because I want to go and worship him uh, too. And so the wise men do, they go. They have been following a star, apparently. Um, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about the astrological um, uh, background to the whole story. Um, And then there's a mystery to it, too, because apparently there was a star that appeared um, that told them that it that the king was born in Israel, and so they came to Israel, and then when they left there, this star actually specifically pointed out a house where Jesus was. So it's not just a constellation, or maybe it starts as a constellation, and then God transitions to a direct um, uh, uh, direction uh, for them to be able to find him. Anyway, they go into the house, and they find the child, uh, and, they, uh, and they worship him, and they give him gifts, uh, and then uh, an angel appears to them uh, in a dream uh, and warns them not to go back to Herod, to go back a different way. Which, by the way, if they go back a different way, they don't go through Jerusalem like they would normally have gone through Jerusalem, but they actually probably went through Nazareth. That's, that's the direction that they went. So they left from where Jesus was and went through, in order to get away from uh, Herod, went through the region that Jesus would actually grow up in. Uh, and went on home. And then when, uh, 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 when Herod heard about this and realized that they weren't coming back, um, he just decided to kill all the kids in, in Bethlehem. Um, so he sent his soldiers uh, to, uh, to do that, killed um, all the baby boys uh, two years and younger. Um, horrible. This is, this is one of those things that makes the, the Christmas story, um, you know, difficult to tell to children, you know. Uh, and it's not just a kid's story, but um, it's a story of mankind, and it's a story of how um, and why mankind needs a Savior. Um, fortunately, an angel had warned Joseph and told him, take the, the baby and, uh, and his mom uh, and go to Egypt. And, uh, and they do. They go to Egypt, and they're there until Herod passes away. Uh, and then they come back, and when they return, that's when they settle uh, in Nazareth, which is not where uh, Joseph was from. So that's kind of like an overview of the whole story. I want to give you a little bit of background. Now, one of our, um, one of our most favorite um, Christmas carols uh, is We Three Kings. We Three Kings of Orion are um, bearing gifts. We traverse afar. Um, and there's, there's problems with that. As with, you know, most things that people make up, uh, it's, it's kind of based on the, the uh, Magi story, but the, the story in the Bible never says that there were three of them. There were three gifts, and maybe that's the reason why they think that there were three um, magi. And the Bible never says that they were kings um, either. Um, Magi um, were seers. Um, They were astrologers. They were the guys in the royal courts um, who uh, discerned spiritual things. So that's what what their job was. We see magi appear uh, when Joseph uh, was in Egypt. Uh, when he was captive, uh, and he was in, in prison, and uh, uh, Pharaoh had a dream, and uh, in the dream, you remember the dream, it was the seven cows that came out of the Nile, and then seven uh, ears of uh, corn that came out of the Nile, and, it, and uh, Pharaoh woke up. I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes I remember the feeling that I have in a dream more than the dream itself, and a lot of times the dream itself maybe doesn't make that much sense. But you have a certain feeling, and that's apparently what Pharaoh had. He awoke from this dream, and he was like, there's something that is not right. There's something that wouldn't settle in his heart. 
And so he needed an interpretation of that, of that dream. Uh, and so he calls these guys, like the Magi, that most of these kings had, and he wants an interpretation of the dream. And they can't, they can't interpret the dream. They have no idea what it means. And then one of them says, I remember a guy that was in prison when I was in prison, and he interpreted two dreams, uh, and both of them were exactly right. They both came uh, to pass exactly as he had said within a couple of days uh, of the interpretation. So Pharaoh calls to, uh, to Joseph, and Joseph interprets the dream and immediately ascends to one of the highest positions uh, in, uh, in Egypt uh, and, and remains there. He, he becomes second only to Pharaoh as a result of interpreting the dream. So here's some, some, uh, some things that are significant about that. These earthly kings realized that there were realms that they didn't understand, and they were dependent on people to give them information about, about that. That's where God always excels. He always excels in the places that we can't control and that we can't understand because he is sovereign and he is, he's Lord of these things. Um, Pharaoh appreciated that. In the story of Daniel, there's another, um, there's several different uh, examples of this, but you remember the story of um, King, uh, is it Belshazzar? Um, that uh, he has this big feast and, and he brings out all the idols and he's, you know, and he's, he's got this, you know, big thing going on. And suddenly in the midst of that feast, a human hand appears and writes on the wall. And the, what, the, what the human hand writes on the wall uh, is interpreted for him, and that's who he calls upon to interpret is the Magi. The, the, and Magi is where we get our word magician from. So he's, he calls on these guys to interpret it. It must have been a really tough job to have, you know? I mean, because you know that these guys were winging it, you know? You know that they're kind of, it's, it's kind of like being a weatherman, you know, like a professional guesser, you know. It's like sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong, but with these guys, their life actually depended on it. They were, a, they were professional guessers, but they, if they guessed wrong or if they didn't have the goods when they were called on to have the goods, they could die as a result of that. And the king would call on them and say, you know, interpret this. I need insight into this spiritual stuff. And sometimes they could do it, and sometimes they couldn't. That's who these guys are. The Magi are from the East. Now, it says that they're from the East. Um, traditionally, people say that they were from Babylon. They were either from Babylon or Persia, most likely. Um, both of those regions are areas that um, Israel had been in captivity in. And if you read the stories of captivity, Israel was in captivity, but God was not in captivity. Israel may have been under uh, Babylonian authority and rule, but they knew that they were there because God had sent them there, not because God had failed them or, or, or anything, but because they had failed to be true to their God, and God said, I'm going to send you into this country. And when he sent them into that country, he had uh, you know, a mission in mind for that country as well. So these guys would go into that country, and when they did, they would rise to the top. They would become like the... the um, uh, the residents and the, and the rulers would see in them, in their lifestyle, in their, uh, in their abilities, uh, in the value that they were to the community, all of these things, they would see that these guys were serving a powerful God. And it, made an, it had an effect upon them. You remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar, when Nebuchadnezzar was the king's cupbearer. Again, just 
um, one of the um, Israelites, and he rises to the top. Why do they rise to the top? Because they respect, because they honor, because they are honest, uh, because they worship a, a God who is a good God and does good things and empowers his people to do good things. And so, Nebuch- I mean, um, uh, uh, Nehemiah rises to the top, and he's the king's cupbearer, and he hears something about Jerusalem, that the walls are torn down, and he grieves, and the king cares about him so much, loves him so much, that he says, go and find out what's going on, and I'll help. And he sends the king of a foreign country, of a, of a pagan uh, land, sings, sends a provision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. God didn't just send Israel into exile as a punishment to them, but he also sent them into exile as a way to witness to these nations. And when they got there, these people realized that the, that the, um, the Israelites had sacred writings. And now, Israelis' sacred writings are so different than other sacred writings. Now, there's books of wisdom, and there's books of history, but there's also tons of prophecy. There's tons of prophecy in those that are coming true all the time. That God promises this and says this is what's going to happen, and it does happen. This is unique, man. Because that's got to be God. When something is predicted thousands of years before and it comes true to the letter, that's not explainable in human terms. And the Israelites come into these foreign countries and they've got these books, books of history, uh, books of wisdom, but they've also got these books of prophecy. Um, you remember when, uh, Israelite, when, when Israel came into the promised land um, and... Uh, there was a guy in the promised land that was a prophet. It's a really strange story. Um, his name was Balaam. Uh, and most of you guys remember Balaam because Balaam had a donkey that talked. Um, and, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, God can even make a donkey talk. Well, look, that was not a good story. You know, that's, that's not what you want. That was somebody who was really hard-headed, and the only way God could get through to him is talk to him, to him through a donkey. So he can do that, but he usually chooses to do it in less dramatic ways, Right? Anyway, this guy's a prophet, and he's a, uh, he's a pagan uh, prophet. He's not a worshiper of God at all, but he does have um, skills and abilities. There are people who have spiritual sensitivity that may not be Christians, may not be believers, and, and yet they can still sense and see and, and understand some things um, that are not naturally discerned. Are you with me? Are you guys with me? Sorry, not, not rhetorical, seriously. I... I have to have, you know, I have to have your feedback. Um, anyway, so uh, Balaam uh, actually prophesied. The, the, the king um, called Balaam and said, I want you to prophesy against Israel. You remember this story? And so Balaam begins to prophesy, and he can't prophesy against Israel. He blesses them. And the king's like, oh, I, I paid you to prophesy against these guys, to curse them, you know. And Balaam comes back, and he says, no, nah, I, can't, I can't do that. And uh, and because he could not say something that he knew that, was not, that God was not saying, and he couldn't curse Israel because God was not cursing Israel, right? But he was the one that said a star would arise. In one of, one of the times when Balaam is talking, again, this is a pagan prophet who is prophesying the king of kings and the Lord of lords to come. You see, God is a God over all people. He's not just a God over Israel. Israel are a special people. 
But all people are under the authority of God. Even when they think that they're walking, you know, in their own way, they can, they, they can walk away from him, they can rebel against him, but they cannot change the fact that he is God. He has made us. He is the creator. And he is the one that is sovereignly in charge. That's what the background is for these guys. Um, the prophecy that I was telling you about was in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. I don't think I've got that up here. Um, 24, verse 17. It's, uh, this is what Balaam says. He says, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will arise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the foreheads of Moab's people, uh, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheth. And what he's talking about there is the spiritual uh, coming and reign of the Messiah. When he's talking about cracking heads and... and, uh, and um, and crushing foreheads, he's talking about the reality of spiritual warfare that Jesus Christ was going to be in the, in the forefront of. Um, it's, it's really interesting that um, uh, as they went into these countries um, and, and they had these sacred writings, they saved these sacred writings. So these magi had huge libraries of prophecies and things that they had seen uh, from all these uh, people that they conquered or all the people that they um, interacted with, and this was in there too. And so apparently when this star arises, these guys are astrologers, which I'm obviously not recommending astrology, but God was using this to speak to them and to indicate to them that these people that you had conquered back then and that, that you uh, were amazed at the power of their God, this prophecy is coming true, and they're so motivated by that, by what they have seen and what they understood, that they come because they want to see firsthand. They want to wor- They come to worship this this king or, or that that is uh, being born. Um, so that's a little bit of the, about the the background uh, of the story. Um, and this story, as I told you. Um, it doesn't say how many uh, wise men there are. We're saying maybe three. But this story is about two kings. It's not, not just about one king. It's about uh, two kings. I wanted to show you this uh, kind of funny uh, deal here. This is how um, the Magi uh, worked. I mean, I don't know if you know anything about uh, Greek mythology or, and Roman mythology, but the Romans kind of copied everything. Like the Greeks had all of these ideas, and the Romans kind of co-opted them, and that's the, way that the, that's the way that the Magi worked, is that they're getting as much information as they can, because their lives depend on it, um, from all these different sources, um, and none of it really is, uh, is, is necessarily original uh, with them, and it's all, you know, kind of uh, hit or miss. What's really funny about this is that the, is the people that least valued what Israel had was Israel herself. The... the, the um, it's so funny that the nations that were around them, when they came out of Egypt, um, you know, they went and they spied out the land and they came back and they brought back a report and they said, you know, it's a good land, but we can't take it. But if you know what those people were saying about Israel when they came out of Egypt, they were scared to death because they had heard what had gone on in Egypt and they knew that the God of Israel was a real God and a powerful God and did some awesome, terrifying things but Israel seemed to be the one that was the least impressed by the whole thing. They just seemed to kind of take it in 
you know, in, in stride and uh, co-opted all of these other idols and things like that. It's, that's what's really, really funny about it is that these people would, would honor the God of Israel and Israel themselves would harden their heart to the God of Israel. It's really a story of two kings. It starts in that first, um, in that first uh, verse. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of the reign of King Herod. And there's two kings here. There's King Jesus and there's King Herod. And that's really what it comes down to. There's an earthly king, there's an earthly authority, and there's a heavenly king and a heavenly authority. Where did Herod get his authority from? He was appointed by the Romans uh, to be what they called the king of the Jews. But his whole reign was tenuous. I mean, he's killing people left and right just to keep himself in power. And you know when you do that, you get a lot of enemies. You may instill a lot of fear in people, but the first chance they get to turn on you, you know that nobody's going to show you any mercy because you haven't shown any mercy. He's on top of the heap, but it is a tenuous, dangerous, uh, delicate position that he's in, right? Jesus, on the other hand, where does he get his authority from? He gets his authority directly from God, from the, from the Father. And the Father has given him authority and has appointed him as king. He didn't conquer this. He didn't, um, it wasn't uh, due to his ambition. Uh, he didn't kill anybody to get that position. The Father gave him this authority. God, the creator, uh, gave him uh, this authority. So these two kings uh, are first mentioned. Uh, when the uh, wise men came and they said, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. This is probably the first time that Herod realized that the prophecies about the Messiah were not for some distant future, but they were for the present, and that he was living in the time when this Messiah was supposed to um, actually appear, and it scared him uh, really, uh, really bad. Um, Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations... Rage and the people plot in vain. Why did the kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, the Christ? And that's a good question, isn't it? Because the real question is who's in charge. The real question of the universe is who's in charge. I mean, I believed that there was a God from the time that I was a little bitty kid. But especially when I got to my teenage years and when I started getting to the point where I had my own strength, my own ability to think for myself, my own liberty to make decisions and things like that, uh, I almost kind of thought, you know, believing that there was a God was almost like doing him a favor. Oh, yeah, I believe that there's a God. But that doesn't accomplish anything, does it? (laughs) Believing that there's a God is only like being realistic. The question isn't, is there a God? The question is, is he in charge? Is he in charge of your life? That's when things changed for me dramatically, is when I bowed my heart before him and I surrendered. There's a lot of different ways to describe the conversion experience. To believe is to be converted. Um, to, uh, to surrender is to be converted. And I think that's a really... Um, really uh, perceptive way to say it because C.S. Lewis says something like this. He says, uh, we're not just, um, you know, uh, people that need to be healed or um, people that need to be converted, but we're rebels who need to lay down our arms. That's the position that we have before God is that we are in rebellion against him. 
And Jesus tells a, uh, a parable one time. It's kind of a figurative uh, way of referring to it. But he says, what king goes to war with another king before he sits down and decides whether he has enough money to fight this guy? And if he realizes he doesn't have the means and the capability of fighting this guy, then he sends to him and sues for peace and says, please, you know, let's, let's live at peace with each other. That other king is God himself. We are a king over our own lives. We get to make our own choices. And what a great privilege that is. But if we are realistic in any way and we see who God is and what God does and what he has at his command, the only rational thing for us to do is to lay down our arms, to lay down our weapons, to surrender ourselves to him and so that his will becomes our will and his ways become our ways and his kingdom becomes our kingdom. John the Baptist described Jesus when he said that Jesus was coming. He described him as coming uh, to uh, proclaim the, um, the good news of the kingdom. And if you have a kingdom, you have a king. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom. Um, why did the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Why did the kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, the Christ? Why do we? Why do we rage? Why do we resist? Why do we, why do we fight against and rebel against God? Why? Why do we do that? Because we want to stay in control. Because we want what we want. We don't want anybody else telling us what to do. We want to maintain this semblance of, uh, of freedom. And actually the worst thing that we have is the things that we do because we're free to do them. Psalm 2 goes on and says, Our God in heaven laughs. And he says to such rulers, kings like Herod, as for me, I have set my king in Zion. He says, I have set my king in Zion. And he says, and I have said of him, you are my son, the king who will judge the nations, the king for whom I will make the ends of the earth his possession. And then it says, be wise, O kings, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, do homage to the king of God's kingdom. So we got two kings. We got one that's been appointed by the Romans that they call the king of the Jews. And then we have one that is appointed by the king of, king, king of kings and the Lord of lords by God himself. And his kingdom, uh, in Daniel it says, it has no end. Herod's is going to end pretty quickly. Before Jesus is even cutting teeth, probably, um, Herod's kingdom is going to come to an end because his life is going to come to an end. So what do we do with these two kings? We have a choice to make. You see, God created man and gave man something that is unique among all of his creation, and that's the ability to choose. And why did he give us the ability to choose? Because he wanted us to be able to love like he loves. And love cannot be love if it's forced. Love cannot be love if it's something that's been pre-programmed into somebody and instinctive. It's got to be a choice. Right? Every, every, everything in your life, I mean, everybody in your life that loves you, if they truly love you, it would not mean the same thing if they, if they loved you because they had to love you. Right? Because love has to be freely given. Love has to be something that you have to decide you want to do. And that's the reason why God gave us a free will. Now, I understand it's a dangerous thing. It's a, 
I mean, there, there are, uh, when you give somebody a choice, they can make bad choices. But listen, God saw what man would do, and God already was committed to the remedy for his mistake. He gave us the ability to choose, but he also gave us the ability to recover when we chose badly. And that was this king that he's sending um, to us. We have three choices when it comes to uh, these, uh, these, uh, this king. And the first one is indifference. In this story, um, it says that uh, Herod called in the uh, teachers of the law, the, the authorities on the law, and he says, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And like right away, they answered the question. They said he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So these guys, they're, they're up on what they're, I mean, they, they know their stuff, right? He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod says to the wise men, you go find him and then you come back and tell me and I will, um, so that I can go and worship him. My question is, what happened to those religious leaders? Because they're hearing the wise men say that the king is born and they know where the king is supposed to be born. What did they do? Where did they go? You know what they did? They did what is the default position of humanity, indifference. They may have known the truth or they may have suspected the truth, but they didn't want it to turn their lives upside down. They didn't want to get on the bad side of Herod. They didn't want to pay any price for this. Oh, the Messiah is born? Huh, that's great. And they're going to go back to their regular lives. And I think that's the position of most people on the earth today. They may know that there's a God. They may think that there's a God. But they want to live their lives as if they don't have any responsibility to that knowledge. They're indifferent. I think there's a lot of people in church that are that way. I mean, when, when it comes down to it, is the driving force in our life to look good, to feel good, or to be right with God? And I think most people are pursuing, most people on the earth, whether they're religious or non-religious, are pursuing the first two, and they're indifferent when it comes to the third. To know him, and the power of his resurrection, being conformed to his death, so that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Are you really concerned about the resurrection from the dead, or are you just concerned about what you're going to have for lunch today? Or what the coming year is going to be? You see, that's the difference between the, what the wise men were doing, uh, what Herod was doing, and what these religious leaders were doing, which is representing most of Israel. Most of God's people were just indifferent to it. That's one of the choices that we, we have to make. We can, we can either be indifferent to it and make no mistake, I mean, you know, serving the Lord and loving the Lord is one of the most challenging things that you'll ever do. It's not, it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, it's, um, there's great meaning in your life and there's great purpose in your life, but there's great challenges in your life as well. I've been reminded of that a lot this season. And I'm talking about not just the Christmas season, but the last couple of months. People that are dear to me, people that I love so much, and I see them struggling with life and death and, and, uh, and, and heartbreak and sorrow and sadness and all of these things. And what a difference it makes when somebody who, who has that rock of faith that they built their lives on and they find the, the winds come and, 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 uh, and, and the, 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 uh, the trials come, and yet they find themselves solidly set on the rock that doesn't waver. I've seen that over and over again. 
over the last couple of months. It, uh, it, it kind of adds a little bit of, um, of a bitterness to the sweetness of the season to realize what you know, people face. And I, as a pastor, am so blessed that I get to be there a lot of times with a front row seat to see somebody put their faith on the line and walk it out, man. Faced with difficulties and faced with uncertainties, and yet they put, they, they, they put all of their chips on Jesus. And, they, and, they, and I see him come through over and over and over again. Indifference is one. You know, who's missing from the manger scene? Herod's not there. The religious leaders are not there. We got a strange group of people here, but the very ones that you would think would be at the manger scene are not there. Now, one reason why uh, Herod's not there is because he doesn't know where this child is. You know, you see, God says, my ways are not your ways, and sometimes God hides himself. That's the reason why God hides himself. Because if God had revealed to Herod where that baby was, Herod would have killed that baby. That's the reason why God doesn't, he doesn't tip his hand a lot of times. Because he doesn't want to allow people to do the damage that they would normally do. But to the, to the meek and to the humble and to the, to the shepherds and to the seekers, he freely reveals himself. And he wants us to, to, uh, to know him. The ones that aren't there are the ones that are indifferent. Or the next uh, choice that we have that we can make is hostility. Um, it's, it's funny to me how people can be so hostile, like especially people that say they don't believe in God, can be so hostile to people that do believe in God. Um, if you've been in um, uh, like uh, a lot of our um, colleges, a lot of, lot of education nowadays, you can find yourself backed into a corner if you identify yourself as a Christian. And the question that I have is, if it's not real, why are people threatened by it? Why, why do they feel like they, they need to, you know, humiliate people or, or single people out or, you know, or make an example of them if it's not real? If it's, if it's not real, it's not real. You don't have to. But the thing is, is that it's a reminder to them that there are things that they don't control and that they don't understand. And there are people who, have, who, have, uh, who are building their lives uh, on, on something that is hostile to them, hostile to their, not just their, their, their uh, lifestyle, but their whole mentality. It's not just the things that they do, but it's the way that they think. And it's hostile to that. And we used to enjoy uh, a, sort of a majority. It was like the things that we believed were widely accepted. But more and more what we're finding is, as our society uh, grows darker and, and harder, uh, is that the things that we believe that even 10 years ago were widely accepted now are put up as being crazy and dangerous. And I don't think that that's going to change. I think, that, I think that we have opportunities today that the door is closing on, that we will not have the opportunity to do some of the things that we're doing. We have to take advantage of those opportunities because the time is growing short. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the time is growing short? So we have to prepare. We have to be prepared. We have to realize that the battle that we're in is not a physical battle. It's not against people. But it is against ideas. It is against philosophies and beliefs. It is against the lifestyle that says, I am the only one that matters. What I want and what I want to do is the only thing that matters. We do have to stand against that. And the place that we stand against that, the strongest, is in our own life. 
first. To live a lifestyle that glorifies Jesus Christ. Because just saying that I'm a Christian, just, just identifying yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, can automatically get you, put a target on your back. And you have to be prepared for that. And not respond in kind. Not, not respond in, in, uh, in the flesh or in the natural. Because it's not a battle that you win that way. A few, um, few weeks ago, few, uh, or about a month ago, uh, we talked about uh, how now the, the second major religion, religion in most of the developed world um, is what's called the nuns. They, they are not affiliated with any religion. So, and, and that does not mean that they don't have religion. It just means that a lot of times what they're doing is they're making it up as they go along. They're choosing the things that they like here, and they're choosing the things that they like there, and they're choosing the things that they like there. And they're not, it's not a, um, it's not a consistent um, uh, belief system. It's based on what I like here and what I'm hearing here and what I'm hearing here. Instead of having one God, they have many gods, little gods that are in charge of different areas of their lives and, and doing things, uh, basically doing things their own way. It's, it's the same thing as what uh, um, Adam and Eve did with the fig leaves, you know, just a makeshift way to try to, you know, cover yourself, you know. And uh, that's the major religion. That's the second major religion in most of the developed countries, most of Western Europe, um, most of uh, North and South America uh, is becoming more and more with people that, that uh, um, are not... Um, not believers in the sense that we understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, but they are um, making it up as they go along. There's nothing that's more of a threat to somebody. And that's the reason why people don't like to talk about their religion a lot of times, because they really don't have it all together. They really, they don't, they don't want to put it out there. They don't want to expose themselves and talk about that. You know, people's ideas about what happens after you die. Everybody's got an idea about what happens, but what's it based on? Where do you get it from? And I'm not saying that Christians necessarily should be the ones that come across as like having it all together or having all the answers, but we definitely should say that we know a Savior who does and that our trust is in Him, not in ourselves and not in our own righteousness and our own self-sufficiency. The practice of our faith becomes more and more Offensive to people are around us. That's why it's so important in the environment that we live in, in the environment that we're finding ourselves in, that love predominates in our life. Love predominates in our life. That humility predominates in our lives. That's why it's so important. Because that is going to stand out as a, as a bright, shining light in the midst of the darkness when we're not operating out of our own selfishness and self-centeredness, but that we're living a life that's a sacrificial lifestyle, sacrificial to God, that my, my life is an offering to God, sacrificial to other people, that I pour out my life, I lay down. Jesus said, if you want to know what love looks like, it looks like a brother laying down his life for his friend. That's what it looks like. And that's why it's so important as, as, the, as the, the time goes on, that those are the things that predominate in our lives because those are the things that shine the brightest in the darkness. Indifference, indifference of the two now, indifference and hostility, indifference is the one that's the most illogical. Hostility really makes sense. 
It really does. If there is a kingdom that is threatening your kingdom, then you should be fighting against it. You shouldn't be just like burying your head in the sand and wishing it would go away. You know, like a little kid does, you know, go and hide your face in the corner thinking that your whole body is invisible just because you can't see, you know. That's what's, that's illogical. Hostility is reasonable. And Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You can't. You'll either love one and hate the other or cleave to one and despise the other. We have to choose and we can't live in peaceful ignorance. I had a friend one time that uh, right shortly after we got saved, um, and he was talking about that he felt like he was in a struggle. He was he, was, um, he felt like he was being pulled one direction by the, by the devil and being pulled the other direction by God. And he said, I just want to say, you know, I don't want either one of you. Just leave me alone. I just want to live my life the way that I want to live my life. You know what? You can't do that. You have to choose. Because if you reject the devil, then you are in Jesus' care. And he is not neutral. And if you reject Jesus Christ, then you are under the devil's authority, and he's not neutral either. You cannot, you can't have it both ways. You have to choose between one and the other. And the third option is what the wise men chose, and that's worship. And it says when they came to the place where he was, it says that they bowed down. That, that word actually means to prostrate themselves. That's a position of death. They laid before this baby and this, little, this poor couple in this strange land, in this strange place, and they came and, they, and they, they laid before him, and it says that they worshiped. That's the position of worship, is when you say, I am nothing and you are everything. I have no, uh, I, you know, no agenda. I have no, um, you know, no purpose. I, have, I, have, I come and I bring myself and I lay myself before you, and I subject myself to you and to your authority. What a, what a picture, man. Because that's a, this is a baby. But what does he represent? He represents the king that is to come. He represents the authority that Jesus Christ is in the earth because of the Father. He represents this long journey that these guys, having heard of him, that they had the... Uh, they had the... Um, audacity to take a long journey and go check it out and find out. They didn't just look at it and say, oh, huh, something's going on in Israel. I guess we'll hear about it eventually. They were like, I want a front row seat. And when they got there, they weren't passive. They weren't just spectators, but they were active participants. Um, in, uh, in Isaiah, it says that the nations will stream into um, the city of God. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, like, why are the nations streaming into I mean, there's people passing by the church all the time, you know? And yet there are people that are coming in. Why are they coming in? Because they need light, because they need hope, because they need peace, because their lives are falling apart, because they love beauty and they love truth. They are streaming in. And these guys are the first of the Gentiles that would come to experience that. This is the first rattle out of the barrel, and they're beaten you know, the religious authorities, the, the, uh, the experts on the law, these guys beat them to it. And they're, they're bowing down to worship. And, and I, I just want to, I'm not going to go into detail talking about the gifts, but I want you to see what these gifts are that they bring. It says that they brought frankincense, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, what is gold? 
you know what gold is. Because gold then is the same thing that gold is now. I mean, I don't know about frankincense and myrrh. I hadn't had very much of that stuff. But I do know what gold is. Gold is what represents the great wealth. Some, someone once said that great wealth is the closest that a human being can come to omnipotence. Great wealth. Jesus said if you have enough faith to say um, to this mountain, be you removed and cast into the sea, you can either have faith and, and believe in God and do that, or you can have a lot of money and you can make it happen. Omnipotence. And what they're doing is that they're bringing gold. They're bringing their, um, uh, their wherewithal. They're bringing their, the thing that's valuable in their life, and they're giving that value to, to Jesus Christ. The reason why they're saying that these guys are kings, the, the legend was, um, is because these are royal gifts. That's why they're, they're, bring, they're saying that about it, because these are the gifts that you would give that a king would give to another king. And they're bringing this, so they're bringing, they're bringing gold to him. We know what gold is. What is frankincense? Frankincense is a form of, of, uh, of incense, and it's used in worship. You remember uh, when, the, when, uh, when Moses set up the tabernacle, um, that there was an altar of incense, and then in heaven there's also an altar of incense, and you know what that incense represents? It's the prayers of the saints. This incense is, is not just worship, but it's worship practice. It's worship active. Like I can worship God by bowing my heart before him, but how do I express that? I express it by praying, by, by, um, by uh, uh, exercising myself um, based on that. These are the religious practices that we bring to him. If we're going to worship him, we have to have, we have, to have practices to worship him. It's not just spur of the moment and whatever hits me, my fancy, um, you know, today or tomorrow. It's being able to sit down and say, what should I be doing that honors God with my life, with my money, with my time, with my resources? What, it, what should I be doing to, that honors God? And then in, a, in, a, uh, in, a, in an intentional way, I'm doing that. As we're looking toward the, um, t- toward the new year, this is a good time, and I just encourage you today, if you haven't thought about it, um, to have like a regular time of reading the Word and studying the Word and being in the Bible. Um, and it's been, when I first got saved, it, it was a while before I got to the point where I really, you know, kind of uh, took that seriously and, and uh, began to do it. But over, especially over the last 10 years, it's just a normal part. Like when I wake up in the morning, I want my cup of coffee and I want my quiet time with the Lord. I want the word, you know, or just something about starting off my day that way that I can't even imagine, like waking up in the morning and going first thing to do, you know, anything else. It's just spending time. And that's, a, that's a, a habit. That's a religious thing that I'm doing, all right? But God likes religion when it's real religion, when it's true religion. It's structure that we need in our lives. And then the last one that they brought to him uh, was myrrh. And myrrh was uh, something that they used for embalming or for, um, for uh, uh, caring for um, dead bodies. And that was a reminder of our mortality, the reminder of the fact that I have a limited amount of time on the earth, I have a limited amount of days, and that this, I can't, if I spend my whole life serving this, it's going to pass away. But this is going to pass away, but I am going to live on. It doesn't make any sense to live your whole life with some, uh, uh, serving something that's not going to be here tomorrow. Or you say, well, 
I should be here tomorrow. Maybe you will be. Hopefully you will be. But you won't be here a hundred years from now. I can guarantee you that. So something that's going to pass away, instead of serving something that's going to pass away, serve something that is going to last um, forever. Let me just close with this, and I know this has been uh, this has been a little bit heavy today, and uh, I intentionally didn't, uh, you know, want to come to you with, you know. Uh, it's not to me. It's not light. Like I said, especially over the last uh, few weeks, um, I've seen some people really facing some really difficult things. Some of them are, are here today, and uh, and I just want to know, want you to know how much it means to me to see you loving the Lord and serving the Lord when the chips are down. And it gives me faith to believe that Jesus Christ is, is God in every situation. He's going to see us through. I see him seeing people through. I see people overcoming in the, in the midst of uh, some of the greatest trials that they could face um, in their life. Herod was the kind of king that demanded people to follow him. He intimidated people. Um, he, he ruled uh, with terror. Uh, he did everything he could to make sure that he held on to his position of authority. And Jesus, the king of the kingdom of God, was just the opposite. You remember what he said when he stood before Pilate? Pilate could not understand what was going on. He was just like mind blown, you know? Because here's this guy in, ba- in bonds, humiliated, um, people crying out for him to be crucified, not a friend in the world. And he asked him, he said, are you a king? And you remember how Jesus answered him? Jesus answered him the same way that Jesus answers you if you say, are you a king? He says, what do you say? That's what he said to Pilate. He said, you said it. If you say that he's king, he's king. If you don't say that he's king, it only means that he's not king over your life, but it doesn't mean that he's not king. He's not, he's not vaunting himself. He's not uh, 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 trying to promote himself. It's, it says that he's, uh, he's not crying out on the street corners. He's got an open invitation to you today. And that open invitation says, what do you say? What do you say? If today you've held yourself back from him, know that he is not holding himself back from you. If today you feel indifferent, He's not indifferent. He's all in. If today you feel like you've got questions, you just don't know, you don't want to take this step of faith, his his hand is extended to you. And and here's what he says about it. He says, if you're hearing my voice, if you're hearing something from outside, if there's something on the inside of you that is hungry for something, that this world can't satisfy, don't harden yourself. Don't be set in your ways. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Dave is going to lead us in a a chorus. If you want prayer this morning, you come, and I'll be glad to, to pray for you. Let's just worship the Lord for a few minutes. And He shall reign forevermore, forevermore. Shall reign forevermore, forevermore, and he shall.
everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond all faith and the cry Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all fame, and the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out, Lord. My soul cries out from me. I just want you to uh, remember the five people that uh, you have identified and that you're bringing before the Lord right now. Um, how many of you, uh, of those five that you named, that you're going to see them in the next few days? Maybe gather with them uh, in your family or, uh, or something like that. Um, I just, I just want to pray a blessing over you right now. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that there is not a single person on the face of the earth that you're not intimately uh, understanding of and aware of and, and, uh, and love, Lord. There's not a single person, Lord. There are people that we deal with, Lord, that we think are hard cases, but every one of those, you say, they're your child. They're made in the image of God. And we lift these people up to you, Lord Jesus. We lift up people that need Jesus Christ. Some of them may know you. Some of them may at some point in the past have known you. Some of them are totally oblivious, Lord. And some of them are doing the best they can to be indifferent. Oh, God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would do a major work, Lord, in their lives, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would draw them, Lord, as you drew us, Lord, with powerful cords of love to redemption and to salvation to a relationship with you. I pray for reconciliation, Lord. I pray that you would make us ambassadors, Lord, of reconciliation. I pray as we gather, Lord, with our families and with our friends over the next few days, Lord, that you would cause us, Lord Jesus, to have compassion on those that we're around, not be indifferent, not be oblivious, Lord, but be aware of. I pray for deep conversations, Lord, to break out. I pray, Lord, that you would give us quiet moments Lord, with people that we love, to be able to talk about important things, not just topics, Lord, of the day, but their lives, 
their hopes, their dreams, their fears. Give us opportunities, Lord, to pray for those that we love, even those that may not know you, Lord. Give us opportunities to pray. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be spontaneous in that, that when someone expresses something to us that we know, Lord, is, is something that only you can do something about, that we would politely maybe pause in a quiet way and say, let me pray for you. And pray just a sincere from the heart, spirit-led prayer, Lord, that will touch their hearts. And we pray for things to move in their lives, Lord, that haven't moved before. We just thank you for it. We look forward to seeing you, Lord, as the, as the newborn king in the, in the days ahead, in our families, in our work, in, our, in our, our friends, Lord, in our neighborhoods. We look forward, Lord Jesus, to seeing your star arise, seeing your ascendancy, Lord, seeing your kingdom established. We just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and y'all. Have a Merry Christmas. Remember, tomorrow night, 6 o'clock, uh, we keep it to an hour so you can fit it into your regular um, family observance of Christmas, and we hope to see everybody here tomorrow night. Joy to